Welcome to day 222 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with David Keefe and Matt Kresge. Uh, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Mark, and what a rich experience it always is to be reminded of the life of Jesus, his words, uh, his deeds, his actions, and of course, uh, the people in the Gospel of Mark, it's that he, he does everything well. His power over uh, spiritual evil, his power over sickness, uh, the way that he speaks the Word of God is if he knew the very heart of the God with authority, not like uh, the teachers of their law. And, of course, we come to uh, Mark chapter 15, which takes us back to the cross two weeks after Good Friday, but uh, we come uh, to the Good Friday experience once again, which is an experience we ought to come to every day. Uh, we celebrate festivals in the church, but every day should be a day that's marked by the cross, and every day should be a day that's marked by the resurrection, and although we don't uh, celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Every day should be a, a celebration of the gift of the Holy Spirit that's given in us. So as we come uh, once again to the cross and realize and contemplate what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, uh, we pause to offer ourselves in this moment uh, to the Lord. So, Matt, would you do that for us? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we do pause and, and offer this moment up to you. Thank you um, for the cross of Christ. Thank you for um, the hope we have in him. And as we read um, today, God, would you shape our hearts and transform us? Would you point our eyes um, and our affections and set them on Jesus? God, we pray that you would um, use this time to edify us, to grow us in the gospel, um, to, to shape us into the people that you desire us to be. Uh, and, and Father, would you get much glory? Give us wisdom as we read. Help us to, um, to marvel, to see with fresh eyes, to, um, to worship you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused you of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. It was the custom of the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of self-interest, the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. The chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Soldiers led Jesus away into the place, that is the praetorium, to the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. 
and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down now from the cross and save yourself. The same way the chief priest and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatane, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those standing near heard this. They said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and of Salmon. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in the tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So we have the tragic and the ironic, you know, experience of of the cross. We have uh, Roman soldiers who are mocking Jesus, twisting a crown of thorns put on his head, and of course we've already had Jewish leaders who put a blindfold on him, spit mm-hmm. in his face, or hitting him in the face, and asking him to prophesy. And of course the soldiers are bowing down before him, saying, "Hail, King of Jews!" Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course one day they they will bow. One mm-hmm. day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You know that Jesus Christ is is Lord, not just you know, the King of Jews, but the Lord of of all heavens and all the earth, you know, to the glory of God the Father. And, and so, a sad moment, you know, for them. They take his clothes and they divide them up. Mm-hmm. It's a tragic scene all the way around. But we know that, uh, and even you have the Jewish you know ruler saying, "Come down from the cross, and we'll believe you." Uh, and of course, the purpose was in the cross to bear their sins so that whoever believed in him would never perish uh, but have everlasting life. So what are some of the things that uh, stand out two weeks later from Good Friday as you continue to reflect on the cross? I think the, to me initially and immediately just the humility of Jesus, you know, and, and we've talked about this just kind of on the way that he, you know, marches into Jerusalem. You know, he doesn't come in the, the, with the display of the Roman Empire and you know this festival all around him, um, and here again, here he is on trial, and and you know Pilate's asking him these questions, and he's just not he's not defending himself, and everything in me just at this moment is like, 
man, I want Jesus to defend this himself. Is time to do it. <laughs> this is it. You know, and I wonder just, uh, even as his you know, disciples are hearing rumors of what's happening and maybe even oh, seeing yeah. things, I wonder if Peter's thinking, come on, man, you got you to gotta say something. You're innocent. Yeah, no, and, and that's you know, why Pilate you know, is amazed at what he's yeah. seeing because he's never seen a man stand trial that didn't plead for his life. Yeah. And uh, Jesus, and, and you have to love you know, the question you know, that Pilate asks, are, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, that, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Are you the king of Jews? And uh, you know, Pilate says, you, you've said so. In other words, what does that mean to you? I mean, what, what is the question you're really asking me? Do you even care what you're asking? Do you know what you're asking? Yeah. And even kind of what's standing out in, in Mark 15 is obviously just the brutal nature of how Christ was treated. Every time we read this account, it's always a little painful to read and to actually kind of dwell and to think about what actually he was going through. I know he probably had sleepless night before, and now early in the morning he's being rushed to go see Pilate and everything that happened in between. And even after he died, Pilate seemed to be a little surprised that he had died already, which maybe speaks to just the brutal nature of everything Christ endured and then thinking for me, you know, is a pretty remarkable thought. Um, even as they're mocking him, right? You no, know, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And obviously, in not saving himself, he was saving others. And so just love the little glimpses through the gruesome scenes of, of the hope that the cross gives us. There's no doubt. And then you have the chief priest accusing him of many things. They've already settled on blasphemy as a reason. Uh, they're turning him over, but that's not really going to be anything that Pilate cares about. So they're having to, you know, accuse him of, you know, the very thing that uh, Barabbas had done of, you know, sedition, uh, insurrection, stirring up, you know, the people, the kind of things that Roman, you know, the Rome would get really interested in. But of course, Pilate looks at this guy and he said, you know, I see no threat. Yeah, uh, I see no threat, you know, what whatsoever. Well, what a contrast to, you know. You have Jesus talk about, you know, Jerusalem kills the prophets, and here it is, and it's on full display for us where, you know, the crowd and the chief priests and the leaders are stirring up the crowd saying, yes, we're going to crucify Jesus. And, and sure enough, I mean, I wonder if they picked, you know, Barabbas because he seems to be a pretty easy target to like, well, the crowd will surely pick someone who's committed murder over a man who appears innocent. Well, he's probably, you know, they're probably p- picking Barabbas <coughs> because he would have been the most repugnant to the Sanhedrin. <laughs> yeah. I know the Sanhedrin has this cozy relationship. They hate Rome, but they have a cozy relationship with Rome where they're enjoying positions of power and they're enjoying positions of great wealth. Many of them, you know, of course, are from the group of the Sadducees who are connected deeply to this life, you know, not looking forward to the resurrection of of the dead. So that they're having a rich experience of this life and all of their wealth and all of their power and all of their prestige. And of course, Barabbas was kind of a a threat to that. Uh, he would not only overthrow Rome, he would have overthrown them yeah. as well. So Pilate picks the most repugnant person you know, he can. He said, why don't I give you this guy, you know, you know, uh, why don't I give you Jesus? And they said, no, we, we, we'll, we'll, take, uh, we'll take the other guy. Yeah. And, and isn't that... And Jesus is more a threat to us than any political leader could possibly yeah. be. Yeah. And isn't that the irony when you get to the death of Jesus and... You know, the one who recognizes and, and makes a profession, you know, surely this man is the son of God, is the Roman centurion, you know, who maybe knew, maybe had heard some of the promises of God, you know, or those sort of yeah. things that were, they, as he's walking the streets. But, I mean, he wasn't 
who should have been expecting and waiting for this king to come. It was the people who were yelling crucify Yeah, him. this is a wonderful little rhetorical device that, you know, that Mark uses because the first words you know, that he gives us are the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mm-hmm. And of course, throughout the gospels, we have demons confessing, you know, that he is the Son of God. But here is the first, the first human yep. confession, mm. you know, coming at the foot of the cross. So, the gospel begins and ends by proclaiming that he's Son of God. But the one who recognizes him is not the one who should have recognized him, not the Jewish leaders who should have recognized him, not even the disciples. They're still trying to figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. They haven't recognized him. But here is this Gentile, mm-hmm. Roman soldier. Steeped in you know the kind of cruelty that would uh, crucify more than one person, looking up and seeing the way he died. Uh, not so much the signs going on around him, but the way that he died, the way that he carried himself in death, mm-hmm. saying, "Surely, you know, this is the Son of God." And you have to kind of imagine some of those chief priests as they're letting Barabbas go, and they're finally thinking of their plans, finally working out and coming together. That in the middle of all that, it's actually completely the the plan of God and. Even still, when in verse 37, it was with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And then the next verse, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Um, it was God's plan all along. That, that And the cross of Christ and the death of Christ, there's now access that we've never could imagine now to the Father. Now, the yeah. temple was, the tabernacle before it and the temple after it were representations, you know, not even, you know, not simply representations, but... Uh, the place where God dwelled among his people. And of course, because he is a holy God and they're an unholy people, it's a very careful uh, you know, dwelling. Uh, there are separations of walls and there are separations of curtains and there's Levitical codes to be followed. And uh, you know, to come into the presence of God is not an easy thing to do until the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Paul will take this even further, saying that he's broken down not only the torn, you know, that inner barrier that keeps us all from enjoying the presence and the blessing of God, but the outer barrier that separates us from one another as well, you know, in the, in the court of the Gentiles. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel all, all the way around. I wonder if those people that hurled the insult, you know, you're going to destroy the temple, you know, rebuild it in three days, if when they heard the news about the the curtain tearing in two right at the death of Jesus, if they thought, oh, no, what's going on? What just happened? Yeah. Yeah. Begin to see the irony of their own statement. And, and of course, you know, in chapter 13, Jesus has said the temple will be torn down. Mm -hmm. Um, But the one that's going to be rebuilt is not, uh, you know, one of, you know, these large, you know, limestone uh, stones that have been quarried outside of the city of Jerusalem, but it will be a living temple represented first in Christ and then in his people, you know, which he has called uh, to be a, a holy nation and a priesthood to declare his praise and glory. Mm-hmm. As we will see, and we've teased this a lot in, uh, <laughs> in, in Peter's letter uh, yeah, uh, next up. week as we do that. So um, beautiful again to come to the foot of the cross. And of course, it's a place we should constantly find ourselves. But knowing that the cross is not uh, not, not the whole story. Um, Paul would say what we received passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died according to the scripture that he was buried and he, he rose again and said this is the gospel we preach which you believed and on which you are taking your stand and it's here that we find forgiveness of sin mm-hmm. and through the resurrection uh, coming uh, next Monday 
mm-hmm. uh, we find new life in him. David, do you mind closing us with a word of prayer? No, let's pray. And Father, we do ask that this gospel would be um, the gospel we preach and in which we find our hope and on which we take our stand. Um, thank you for a few moments today to look um, to the cross and to be reminded uh, of its, its ugliness, um, its gruesomeness. Um, but even in all of that, we see the love of Christ as he went to the cross for us. And so, Father, may this not be news we reflect on just once or, or twice a year, but may this be the, the very news that we cannot help but marvel at each and every day. And so may Christ be central to our thoughts. Um, may that inform our hearts and how we live as the people of Christ. And so we ask, um, as we look to the cross, we be reminded uh, of Jesus. And so, Father, we pray this all in his name. Amen. Amen.